so happy to see you here. It is June the 23rd, and it feels like summertime in Memphis, Tennessee. Yesterday, I sweated about five gallons of water out of my body, and uh, it was fun. You know, you just have to enjoy it in Memphis in the summer. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Or else you'll be miserable for the next three months. So just smile when you sweat. Make it an ambition in your life to be happy through the sorrow, okay? So here we go. Memphis, Tennessee in summer. I'm so glad you're here, and uh, I'm Barrett. If you're new this morning, special welcome to you. I'm a crazy guy that they call pastor here at this church, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so happy that you're here today. Um, We are in the middle of a series, His Name Is. And the whole point of this series that's going to last throughout this summer is that we might draw in closer to God than we ever have before. The purpose of our life, as Jesus tells us, is to know God and to know Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. The purpose of your life is not to do great things, although I believe the Lord wants to do great things through you. The purpose of your life is not for you and yourself to have great significance or a good job and lots of money and a safe and healthy family and to retire peacefully on the golf course. That is not what your life is about. Your life is about knowing God. The whole reason that He created you when you were in your mother's womb was for this, that you might live in relationship with Him. That you might find your joy and your significance, your value in who He is and knowing Him and allowing Him to be God in you and through you as you walk in this world. I'm telling you, you will not find lasting peace. You will not find real contentment. You will not find significance and purpose until you come to the place where you realize this life is not about you. It's about Him. His name is, is a series designed to help us know Him as He is, especially as He's revealed to us through His names. Yeah, if you're new this morning, God has a name. And it's more than just G-O-D, God, although that is one of His names. But He has many names. And He's given us His names, revealed them to us in Scripture, so that we might see through His name more of who He is. To know His name is to know Him. And there are many names because not just one name can encompass the awesome, eternal, glorious God who we know. He has communicated to us again and again through His names who He is. And so we draw near again today to His Holy Word. And we're excited this morning because we're going to be learning about a new name. But before we do that, those of you who are here in the summer know something that we do, and it's the memory verse. And so, I'm going to make you work with a partner, so hope you like the people around you, because if not, it's going to be awkward. Let me show you the memory verse, if it comes. Jeremiah, oh, 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 maybe, there it is, chapter 7, verse 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. All right? Let's say it together real quick, and then you're going to work with a partner for a few minutes, and you're going to try to memorize it, and you'll work on it throughout this week. But Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 14. Say it with me. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. Jeremiah 7, 14. All right. Have some fun with your partner. Try to memorize it. We'll come back in a second. 1714. It's 1714. Typo. 
Wow, it got quiet. Does that mean y'all are done? All right, so let's turn it off the screen, and let's try it together again, all right? I want to hear it. On the count of three, you tell me. One, two, three. Awesome. You got the correction right and everything. I'm so proud of you. Um, this morning, we are actually going to be um, looking at the name of God, Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord, our healer. And so I pray that you will take Jeremiah 17 with you this week. Write it on an index card. Uh, put it in your dashboard. Well, that's probably not safe put it on your mirror when you're getting ready, ladies or guys in your golf bag or whatever you do during the week that you go to a lot. And uh, remember today, the Lord, our healer. Exodus chapter 15 is where we're going to be today. So if you've got your Bible, uh, I encourage you to open it up to Exodus chapter 15. On your bulletin on the back every week, there's a place to write notes. I always encourage you to do that because uh, I don't want you to be a hearer of the word only, but I want you to be a doer of the word. And so as you As we go through the Word this morning, I encourage you to write down what God teaches you, the things that He shows you, so that you might not just hear them here on Sunday, but that you might walk in the way of God as you go through your life. Exodus chapter 15. Jehovah Rapha, one of two compound names of Jehovah. And actually, um, we're doing this a little bit out of order. This is the second revealed compound name of Jehovah. In Scripture, all right? So, a few weeks ago, we talked about God's name, Jehovah. There are two compound names that come from Jehovah. This is the second one of um, those compounds. And the, the, the first one is actually going to be taught next week by Slogin, who is from Serbia. He and his family here, of course, for uh, their time at St. Jude with their daughter, Sarah. So, I really hope that you'll be here next week as uh, Slogin brings the word and presents God's revealed name, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. But today, we look at Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. We're in here at Exodus 15 because this is the text where God reveals His name. And what I've been trying to do week after week is to give you the context at which God first reveals His name as we're studying this week. A little bit of context in Exodus chapter 15. As you might remember, those of you who are uh, familiar with Old Testament history, God's people, the people of Israel, those people who had been called out uh, beginning with Abraham and formed as a nation according to his name, who had lived by faith in his promises, God had just redeemed them from the hand of the Egyptians. They had been living there in bondage and in slavery, and God came to them through his servant Moses and spoke to them the promise, his intent to lead them out if they would trust him and do as he instructed, that God would deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians. And did he? He did so in a great way, bringing judgment upon the sin of the Egyptians, but also delivering God's people according to their faith. And we see that miraculous moment when the Red Sea parts. And I I pray in your life you see many Red Sea moments because God is able to do that which is miraculous. God is able to do that which only He can do and can be explained by Him. They have that Red Sea moment in in their history. God parts the sea, allows them escape. And now, here we are in Exodus chapter 15. They are on their way to the land that He has promised them. 
And all they have is his word and his spirit with them. And we see at the very beginning of Exodus 15, just to give you a little hint of the feeling of that first day out of Egypt, starting in verse 1, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. This is my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. See, the the whole feeling, and it continues, this is Moses' song, the feeling of Moses and the feeling of the people were just hip, hip, hooray! Hip, hip, hooray! You ever had those moments in life where you just feel like you want to have a party because God's been victorious in your life and you've seen great blessing and you believed God and acted on His promise and you've seen Him come through and you realize in a point that you can sing from your heart, God is so faithful, He's so good. You find yourself singing in the shower and you're telling your coworkers about Him and you're just like, man, I'm alive in the Holy Spirit, right? Y'all look at me like I'm crazy. You have those times, right? I hope you do. That's where they were. But I want to pick up in verse 22 because that feeling shifted just a little bit and it didn't take too much time. Here we are. Then Moses made Israel, after all the singing and praise of what God has done from Egypt, made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went, how long? three days into the wilderness, and they found no water. Now, one thing I know about life after spiritual victories is that sometimes there comes moments of testing and trial. Anybody ever had those moments where you feel like, oh, God's so faithful, and then you go through these three days where you ain't got no food, and you ain't got no water, and you go, hmm, I'm not so sure. (laughs) I am not really sure about all that I just sang three days ago because right now I'm feeling tired and I'm feeling thirsty and God, um, do you see me still? (laughs) Because that was pretty cool what you did back there at the Red Sea, you know, when you parted the waters and I'm just thirsty. I could just use an eight ounce glass of water and I'd be fine. God, could you just make it appear, right? (laughs) You ever have those moments? where right after spiritual highs, you feel like you go into the desert place and you start wandering around, and just a matter of three days, you begin to question, you begin to doubt, you begin to wonder, is all that I just sang about really true? Here the people are, three days, no water. Then they came to Marah. Marah means, in Hebrew, bitter. It's the name that Naomi renamed herself, Bitter. Marah. They came to Marah. But they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, that's why they named it Marah. Isn't the scripture just so plain and simple sometimes? It's great. And the people, wait, what did they do? Grumbled. Against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? I know you've never complained in your life, especially not against the Lord. Actually, we probably already all have. 
even three days after great singing, comes grumbling, complaining. God, you were so faithful, but where are you now? I don't understand why I'm going through this. Where is the water? And not only were they grumbling against God, but they began to grumble against Moses. And sometimes if you're not careful in your life, we all know that your anger can sometimes leach out on other people. When you're in a bitter place, when you're in a frustrated place, if you're not careful, you'll bring others into your misery. They begin to grumble against Moses saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. I mean, imagine the feeling here. Here they, they've been without water. They see water. They're in the wilderness and they come up on water. And what get, you, you get excited, right? It's water! Until so they go to drink the water and it's like Mississippi River water. <laughs> and you realize you can't drink it because the sewage line is just a few, you know, just a few miles north. So, this feeling of, I need this so bad, but yet I can't have it, and it's sitting here, but yet I can't drink it. And do you ever have these moments in life? You're just wondering, what is going to happen? What does Moses do? He goes immediately, he cries to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log, a tree. God shows him a special tree. And he throws it into the water. And the water, what happens? The water became sweet. There, there, the Lord made a statute and a rule. And there, he tested them. You see, in these moments, it's not God who's on trial, it's you. God's faithful. God can provide. God had a plan all along. He's not the one to be tested. What he's wondering is, where are you? There, it says, he tested them, saying this, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put onto the Egyptians. For I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. (laughs) And they encamped there by the water. For I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord your healer. Jehovah Rapha. I want to explore this a little bit. And for those of you who write stuff down, here we go. Get your iPhone out, except you don't check the news. Write stuff down, all right? I want to explain to you the meaning of this compound name. Jehovah, we talked about a few weeks ago. And what, just as a review, Jehovah means to be or to exist. God communicated, I am who I am. To Moses, he essentially said, I am God eternal. I am the self-existing one who I have always been. I am today and I forever will be. I am the God who is. I don't change. I am the rock of this world. I am who I am and I will forever will be. I am Jehovah. I am God and I am the self-sufficient one. I need no help. I am who I am. It speaks to his character and it speaks to his faithfulness. God, Jehovah, 
But here he's saying, I am who I am. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am who I am eternally as Rapha. And here is really where we want to land today because I want you to understand what God is trying to teach his people, to teach Moses and to teach us. Rapha is used about 60 or 70 times in the Old Testament. Sometimes it appears, of course, with Jehovah, and sometimes it just appears on its own as a verb. But it means to heal. It means to restore. It means to cure. It's used um, sometimes to refer to physicians. And my goodness, this community right here. Who, raise your hand if you're related to healthcare in some way and what you do, it's what you study. Golly, I feel so silly. I'm a physician of some sort, but of souls. I'll just pretend like I'm fit in with your little club. But anyway, um, yeah, you guys understand this. It's the idea that carries along with medicine. It's, it's a medicinal kind of term, meaning that it takes something that is broken and restores it back to the original. It cures. It makes beautiful. It repairs. Um, it's used in 1 Kings. When Elijah goes to the, the altar, is in ruins. And Elijah goes to repair the altar, to put it back together in the way that it's meant to be. Y'all ever seen a building and crumbles? Yeah. Uh, two years ago, I was down in Haiti, and after that earthquake, man, everything was just in crumble. And the people were taking brick by brick out, and a lot of them were putting it back to the way it should be. That is exactly the word that's used when Elijah went to repair the altar, to restore it, taking the broken pieces and putting them back into their proper place so that it might be restored, that it might be beautiful, that it might be whole, and it might be functional again. Y'all got it? Jehovah, I am who I am. Rapha, healer, cure, physician, one who brings back the original. So when you combine them, this is what you get. Translated, here we go. God who heals. God who heals. Jehovah, then, is communicating to us that he is the great physician who heals the brokenness of his people. And if you want to write down a definition, that's what I want you to write down. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Jehovah is the great physician who heals the brokenness of his people. What he's saying to the people of Israel in their day is here you are, come to a place of great bitterness. The water's bitter. Your spirit's bitter. Things are broken. Things in this world are not as they should be. But if you listen to me, if you act in faith, if you apply what I instruct of you, I make the bitter sweet. I make the broken restored. I am God who takes that which is ugly and devastated and makes it beautiful and restored. I am God. I am the Lord, your healer. Isn't this awesome of our God to know that He is a healing God? Let me tell you why it's awesome. There are two realities um, in our world today. And I, they're, they're distinct, 
you're going to relate to one of them totally, and I pray this morning that you relate to the other one. The first one is this. Brokenness. One thing we know about our world today is that we are a broken and diseased people. And we live in a broken and diseased world. Can somebody just testify to that this morning? I know I can. Things are not as they should be. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, that choice of rebellion, that willing, knowing choice of rebellion against God, we know inside of us, and you know this morning, I don't care if you admit it on the outside or not, you know that you're not the man or woman that God has created you to be. You know that in your heart, in your thoughts, in your emotions, in your life, that things aren't as God intended them to be. We can look at the world around us and cry over war. We can look and, and see the despair that comes through disease. And we, can, we sense and we know that things are broken and things are diseased. Three primary ways that things are broken. I want you to write these down so that you can remember it. And I pray that you can relate to it. One is physical. Romans chapter 8 describes that the world, since the fall, has been in bondage and in decay, groaning as a woman in childbirth. That moment where it's like, oh, please come. Women, anybody ever had a child, you can relate to that. I don't even pretend I can imitate that well because I don't, I don't plan to ever do that. But that moment of childbirth where you're going, oh, things are horrible right now. They're not as they will be. That is how the world is, subject to futility right now because of sin. In its physical state, creation, men and women, government, societies, cultures, bodies, things are broken. Nathan Stone says this, Nothing is more obvious and tragic and costly than the toll that sickness has exacted from human life and happiness. Some of us can relate to this this morning because we know people in our own life that we love so much who have been affected by sickness and disease. Some who have died, myself included in that. Disease is rife and often rampant the world over and has wrought untold havoc. It is no respecter of persons. It stretches out its tentacles into all classes, all communities, into all climes. It is a grim fact of human existence with which mankind has always had to cope and which has called for the exercise of its best brains, many of you who just raised your hands, and effort and resourcefulness. Terrible plagues and scourges have at times threatened the existence of an entire continent and have actually destroyed large populations of, of people. Yes, mankind is physically sick and is in constant need of a physician and of healing. The many hospitals and asylums and institutions everywhere built and maintained at great cost bear witness to the prevalence and tragedy of sickness in the world. In our world today, physically, things are broken. Things are not as they should be. We find temptations and fights even within our own body or within relationships that we have in the society that we live in. We find struggles within ourselves physically that God never intended to be. God comes onto the scene and announces Himself, I am the Lord, your healer. 
And if you will trust me and follow me and apply the remedy that I have provided, there's coming a day, ladies and gentlemen, where God will heal, where God will restore, where God will take that which is broken and bring it back to life. Not only physically are we sick, but secondly, we see emotionally. I want you to write that down. Physically and then emotionally. Things are broken. I'm telling you, the pain that I have experienced in my own life, pain from broken relationships, hurts from things in my past, struggles over sins within my own family, uh, pain emotionally because of my own sinful tendencies and how I react that is sinful in ways. Pain and hurt and confusion and loss and sorrow and anger and bitterness and strife. All of these emotional realities in our own heart and in our own life that rise up, that haunted us, that the tape player that keeps going over all that happened in the past that was so destructive and so hurtful. These things, these are real things, and this is the reality of your life and the reality of our world. Emotionally, things are broken. Things are diseased. And I know you feel it this morning. Today, in your life, you're thinking right now, I believe, of things in your past or in your life today that haunt you, that feel yucky, that feel broken. God announces Himself, and He says, I am the Lord. Jehovah Rapha, and I am your healer. If you will listen to me, if you will trust me, if you will follow me and apply the remedy that I have provided, I will heal you. I will take that which is broken and make it beautiful. I will one day wipe away every tear from your eye, and I will restore that which is not right. Praise God. Jehovah Rapha. Third, not just physically and emotionally, but third, and most importantly, spiritually. And in fact, it's this one that is the cause of every other one. Our rebellion against God started there in the garden, continued today, is the cause for the gross yuck and brokenness and decay and disease that we see in our world today. Now listen, I am not saying that if you get sick, it's because of your sin. I'm not saying that little children who struggle with cancer is because of their sin. That is not what I am saying, and that is not what God says. Jesus met a little boy once who was blind, John chapter 9, and they said, why is he blind? Is it because of his sin or his parents' sin? And he says, it's neither of them, and you go, because... He's blind that I might be glorified through him. So I'm not saying that sickness is always associated with sin, although sometimes it is. I am saying this, that all of sickness, all of disease, all of brokenness, all of the futility and grossness of our world results because of man's broken relationship with God. It is a result of the whole human race turning away from God and the way He created things to be. Amen? That's what I'm saying. Isaiah chapter 1. I want you to look at this. Turn in your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 1. 
I want you to look at verse 5 and 6. See, one of the things that God's trying to help us understand is that what is happening in our heart, in our soul, you all have a soul this morning, and what's happening in your soul is just as gross as what's happening in the world around us. The real problem in us is our broken relationship on the inside, our relationship with God. He compares it to that which happens to our body. He says, why will you still be struck down? And why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. And the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. Oh, they're not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Inside of you, he's saying, your heart is sick. Just like you could get sores in your body and diseases that eat your body alive, so also in your heart you can be diseased and broken. That if you're not careful, this thing called sin, that rebellious nature in you that pulls you away from the living God, that causes grossness, disease, brokenness in your heart. Jeremiah, if you'll flip over there, just the next book over. Chapter 17. Verse 6. The heart is wicked above all things. Who can understand it? Listen, your heart is diseased. It's your heart that's broken. Your heart that is wicked above all things. That is the core issue of what's going on in our own life. And in our world, it's not to negate the physical and emotional, but we have a problem spiritually. And that problem is that we have rebelled against the Lord. Stone again says, herein lies the fundamental disease, the sin that alienates it from God, the sin that manifests itself in open and secret evil of every sort in high places and in low places, which brought judgment of Jehovah in times of old, and ever since, and must, yet. You have a problem. You don't trust God as you should. You don't obey God as you should. You don't follow God as you should. You try to make yourself the center of your life rather than allowing God to be. You try to find satisfaction in your workplace, or your, your family, or, or uh, your reputation. Or the things that you buy. When those things can't satisfy, only God can. We've deserted the fountain of living water and tried to make cisterns on our own, but those cisterns are broken and they, you try to fill it and it just always leaks out the bottom. But here God is the water fountain of never-ending life and we've turned our back on Him. That's the problem. But God says, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord your healer. If you will trust me, if you will follow me, if you will apply the remedy that I have given for your heart, I can heal your sin. I can take away that disease which is most core to who you are, that disease in your soul, that rebellious nature that you have with me. I am the Lord, your healer. Praise God. The first reality is that you are broken into disease physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But the second reality is this. That 
God is a healer in his nature and in his power. Listen here. What is your marah? What is your place of marah? What is your bitter water? What is that place in your past or in your life today where you say things are broken and bitter and I can't drink it? I need sustenance for my body and for my emotions and for my soul, but yet what I've turned to is bitter. Where is your marah? Physically, emotionally, spiritually. God meets you at your marah. And he speaks to you, I am Jehovah Rapha. I'm a healer. I'm a healing God. And who I am, Jehovah, I have always been this. I have always been a God who can cure you, who's a physician to those who are sick. I have always been a restoring and capable, redemptive God. This is who I am. And I have the power to do it. I am Jehovah Rapha. Look at some scriptures with me. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. And I want you to see who God is. This is what Jesus stands up in the temple to proclaim in His time of ministry. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. I am Jehovah Rapha. I have been sent to bind up the broken hearted. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 22. Return, O faithless sons, and I will heal your faithlessness. I am Jehovah Rapha. If you will come to me, you faithless sons and daughters, come to me and I will heal. I will restore. I will cure your faithlessness. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 17. And I do want you to flip to these if you can. few chapters over in verse 17 chapter 30 verse 17 he says for i will restore health to you and your wounds i will heal declares the lord would he tell you that he could restore health if he couldn't no he can restore health does he always restore us physically that's not promised is it But there is coming a day when He has promised that we will be with Him face to face. On this earth, will He always restore physically? Some? Yes. I absolutely believe that God heals today. But will He for everyone? He has not promised that. And we need to be careful to question Him or put Him to the test. But can He? Absolutely. And will He one day for all who have put their trust in Him? Absolutely. Can he restore emotionally? What's it say? I can and I will restore health to you. He can and he will. Will he do it perfectly in this life for some perhaps? 
But there's coming a day when he will forevermore. Amen? And spiritually, can he restore you? Absolutely. And the death of his son, Jesus Christ, is the guarantee of it. God is a healer. Psalm 103, verse 3. I'll just tell you this one. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who redeems your life from the pit and who heals all of your diseases. The last one I want you to look at is Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. Because I want you to see that this is the heart of God for you today, but this is the promise of God for you tomorrow and forever tomorrow as we live eternally with Him. Starting in verse 1. Then the angel, this is in heaven now, showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, and also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Praise the name of our God. That He is Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord, the healing one. And in Him is the power and the desire, the intent to bring restoration and healing physically, emotionally, spiritually. Beginning now, completed into eternity for all who will put their faith in Him. Now I have been telling you all morning that in the midst of our brokenness and disease, that this is who God is. If we trust Him, if we follow Him, and if we apply the remedy that He has given for us. And you might ask this morning, well, if God is a great physician and I go to His office and He sees my disease, He knows my heart, He understands my brokenness, how, what is the prescription that I walk away with? What does He write down on His notepad? How do I do this? Well, you call out to Him. That's what Moses did. You go to Him in prayer. But what is the remedy? Do you find it interesting that God says to Moses, go and pick out this certain tree. And you put that tree in the water. And that tree will turn that bitterness into sweetness. That tree will be the remedy, will be the source of healing. And then you fast forward and you read this in the New Testament. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself, Jesus Christ, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For it is by His wounds that we have been healed. Jesus Christ is Jehovah Rapha in the flesh. 
And I know this morning that you are in a place of great... Some of you have pain and hurt physically, emotionally, spiritually that you feel that you can't bear. Wounds that go deep and you wonder, could there ever be healing? I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ is a healer. And He's healed me. And He is healing me. And He will one day heal me to full restoration as He intended me to be. But He is a healer. And you want to know how He heals? He heals because He went to that cross And He took on our brokenness. And He took on our shame. And He took on our pain. And He took on our despair. And it is because He died on that tree, because He was wounded, that we can live. It is because He suffered bitterness that we can be made sweet. It is by His wounds that we are healed. Amen? This is why he went around in his whole ministry. He went around to heal people. He touched people. He looked them in the eye and he said, I forgive you. It's interesting. The paralytic comes in. What does he say to him first? I forgive you. He's paralytic. Don't you see he needs to walk? Of course he saw it. But his greater need was the Spirit. He forgives. Jesus forgives sin. He forgives sin. Today, if you need forgiveness, Jesus forgives sin. Praise God, He's Jehovah Rapha. He took His sin on His own body and in His own body, taking the wrath that we deserve to put it away by His death and to rise again to offer new life, to make the bitter water sweet. Praise God. Jesus forgives sin. He is Jehovah Rapha. Jesus binds up the brokenhearted. He sat with women who had been through all kinds of suffering and abuse. He sat with people who had wasted their life in all kinds of stupid sin. He sat with children who were suffering all kinds of evils that they weren't in control of because of their society and culture. He sat with people who were suffering from genealogical and genetic problems. And He healed them. He healed them. Not only did He forgive them, but He can heal emotionally. He can take away your wounds. He can bind them up. He can apply the remedy. And the remedy is His cross. That tree that went into the water at Marah is the same tree that needs to be applied to your life today. It's the tree of the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you put your identity in Christ, He can heal your bitter water. Praise God. Praise God. The question is today, Will you apply His remedy? See, what Christ has done, He offers complete forgiveness, complete redemption, complete restoration of your relationship with God, and it's through God that His healing comes. Christ is the starting point. Healing is not possible outside of the application of His tree. Is your faith, is your hope in the tree, the cross of Christ? It is by His wounds that you are healed. Once you need to trust Him. Every day you need to trust Him. Forever we will sing to Him. He is Jehovah Rapha, God our healer. When Christ went into a city, sometimes He says He's dismayed by their lack of faith. If they would just but come to Me, I would heal. If they would just call out to Me, I would heal their land. Have you applied the remedy? Today to your bitter waters. I'm telling you this morning who God is. He's the Lord, our healer. Amen? Amen. Rob.
I'd like for you to come. In closing today, uh, Rob is going to share briefly a testimony from his own life about the healing water, the healing tree that healed the water in his own life. And uh, I pray that you will be encouraged and can relate to Rob as he shares, because this is not something we just study in the Bible. This is real life. And I pray that you will experience the change that Rob has experienced because he knows Jehovah Rapha. Thank you, Rob. Hey, everybody. I'm, I'm Rob Hodum, and I'd like to just start off with a word of prayer, if that's okay. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for Jesus, and I hold fast my confession of faith that Jesus is the Lord of my life and that he saved me and he's my redeemer. And Father, may the words that I'm about to speak point to you, and may you receive glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, again, I'm Rob Hodum, and I've been attending this church since uh, last August. And um, my testimony is the testimony of the prodigal son, uh, pretty much. And in Revelations, it talks about how Satan is a deceiver. And not only does he deceive the brethren into convincing them to do the wrong thing, but then he goes before God and he says he accuses the brethren day and night. But in that same verse, it says that the brethren shall overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And so this is my testimony today before you. Um, I was born here in Memphis to Christian parents. And when I was six years old in 1969, I guess that really dates me, but um, I walked down the aisle and one Sunday night in June, uh, I believe it was in June, and made a profession of faith in Jesus. And I lived a Christian life when I was growing up, uh, the time when I was in high school. Uh, but when I went away to college, I fell away in a big way. And like the prodigal son, I wanted to have instant gratification. I wanted to do what I wanted to do, so I did that. And I had some real sin consciousness at first. Um, but the longer that I went on, I just, that sort of went away. Um, I, I got my degree um, at the University of Tennessee, and then I worked for a while, and then I came back to Memphis and got a law degree. But from 1981, when I went into college until 2011, uh, someone looking at me on the outside and looking at my life, you really would not have been able to tell that I, was, that I had ever made a profession of faith in Christ. And um, in 2011, as a part of my work, I had to move to Missouri, and I had to go to a training in Washington, D.C. for a month. And I was the last week of training in Washington, and I had severe chest pains. And I was taken to the hospital in an ambulance, and I was diagnosed with a blood clot in my lung. And I was in such bad pain that I had to, uh, they put me in critical care unit, and I was taking, they were giving me shots like every four to six hours. And I did that for three days. I think the third day they put me on pills, um, narcotic pills, but I woke up from one of the sleeps that you go in when you're on that kind of medication and the doctor came in and he explained to me what my condition was and how serious it was. And he said, people do die from this. And he says, this is like having a heart attack. And I was just in shock, you know, that, you know, here I was 48 years old and, you know, I'm 1500 miles away from the, anybody that cares about me. And I feel, I feel, felt terrible. <clears throat> um, he said he, he thought he, I was going to be okay. Um, and I can remember one morning there was like, I think there was a shift change in the nurses and my pain medication was starting to wear off and the pain was so bad. I mean, I, I was just in tears. I, I just couldn't stand it. And I was pressing the button and I couldn't get anybody to come help me. And, um, I remember thinking, you know, if some sooner or later, somebody's going to come and give me a shot and I'm going to feel better. But 
you know, if I, if I were to die now and go to hell, you know, uh, there's not going to be anybody to help me. And there's also, it's going to be a lot worse than this. And, um, I can remember waking up from one of my, uh, episodes where I, I was, had been asleep and I remember my TV was on and there was a preacher on TV and I was trying to listen to what he was saying, but I couldn't really make it out cause I was kind of groggy. And he said, um, but the part that I remember is he said, we should fear the Lord, not only because he can throw you into hell, but because he's your friend and you don't want to hurt his feelings. And uh, that message just really had an impact on me. You know, I, I realized that, um, you know, the rest of my stay at the hospital, it's like, Lord, I've hurt you for 30 years, you know, from 1981 up until now. And, uh, well, praise God, my, my blood clot dissolved and they were going to let me go home on the seventh day. So it was a Sunday, and um, I went to the chapel in the hospital, and the Bible was open uh, to Psalms 100. I read part of that, and I just said a prayer, and I said, Lord, I'm sorry that I've hurt you, and I'm sorry that um, uh, would you take me back. But I said, there's things about me that you know, and how am I going to change? I mean, how are you going to work this out? You know, I don't even know that I really want to change, but I know that I need to, and, and will you help me? So I flew back to Missouri that night, and I decided I'd go to work the next day And after being in the hospital for seven days. But before I went into work that morning, I opened up the Bible, and I started reading in Psalms chapter 1. And I've read all the way through Revelations. It's taken me about two years. I'm in Genesis now. But because I heard that message about the fear of the Lord, every time that I've come across a verse that dealt with the fear of the Lord, I've written it down. And so far, I've found 77 passages uh, up through Genesis chapter 15, which I read this morning, that deal with that subject. And it means a lot of different things. But one verse that I came across in Proverbs really stands out. It's Proverbs 16:6, 6, and it says, By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. And I didn't know that when I first heard uh, about that. And uh, so that, that whole concept about the fear of the Lord and what that is has had a big impact on my life. But I was healed from the, the blood clot. And I started the restoration when I went back to Missouri of being restored. And not only spending time reading the Bible every day, but there's a church that was within walking distance of where I uh, lived. And I started going there. And I not only went to the services, because it's just like here. You know, you can come to the church service, and you can say hi to people, and then you can leave out and not really get to know people. But I I decided I wasn't going to do that. And I got involved in volunteer activities. But another thing I did was I got involved in a small group. They had small groups there. And the small group that I got involved in was the study of the book of Romans. And um, th- I did some other things, but that do- getting involved in the small group, getting to know people, studying the Bible, and then also spending time in the Word every day, God has renewed my mind, which is what we're called on to do in Romans chapter 2. It is not to be conformed to the world, but be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And part of my <clears throat> deal was, you know, dealing with the condemnation that I felt. I just, there were times where, you know, I didn't, even though I'd, I'd come back to God and I believed that he accepted me, you know, it's just like the prodigal son. It says when the father saw him from a distance, he went out and he greeted him because I had made the decision, God, I want to follow you. But um, there were things in my life and I was just like, how am I, how am I going to be accepted, Father? And in the small groups that we, <clears throat> where we were studying, um, we came across this this verse finally in Romans chapter 8, and I just want to read it. Um, it says, There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. 
And I may have heard that before, but, you know, that was the right time for me to hear that message. And I realized, hey, I don't have to be to feel condemned. Everybody is born with a sinful nature. And if you walk in the spirit and not after the flesh, that you don't have to feel condemned. And the other verse that I came across in Psalms, and I've, I've, I've kept my Bible marked to this verse ever since I read it because, you know, I was praying, you know, I was praying, God, you know, I don't always feel like, uh, you know, that things are right, just like Pastor Brett was talking about. I don't always feel like that I'm, you know, uh, uh, doing the right thing. And, um, uh, you know, how, how is it that you're going to make me right in right standing with you? And it's Psalms 138. Eight, and it says, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the work of your own hands. So the psalmist is saying, You know, God, you made me. Don't forsake me. And I'm going to trust you to make things right. So um, I just um, ended up coming here to Memphis. I didn't really want to, but I did because my parents lived here and I wanted to honor them. And it was, I felt it was the best, way, best opportunity to do that. I'm glad I did because... I've been able to spend time and do things with them that I wouldn't have been able to do if I'd lived someplace else. But also I got to be a part of this church that I didn't even know. I saw it on the billboard, and I'm really glad that I came here. And um, part of what I've done is not only come to the services here, but be in the small groups. And the small group that I'm with, um, it's Pastor Barrett um, is a part of it, and uh, he's my friend. And then also my friend Martin Adazi sitting in the back there. And, you know, if you want a reason to be in a small group, to invest time in it, I'd encourage you to read Ecclesiastes 4.12. You might want to write that down. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's one of the reasons why that you need to be in a small group with other believers um, and get to know people. Um, that's one of the reasons, um, but there, and there are others. But write down Ecclesiastes 4.12. Um, and just in closing, I got to go to Guatemala and... Um, I got to share my test. I, I, I worked on my testimony before I went down there because they said to do that. And um, I made sure that I knew the, where the story of the prodigal son was. And um, I got to share uh, my testimony with a guy. When I went in, I, I didn't know what, you know what the deal was, but it turns out that he had accepted Jesus like me as a child. And he had fallen away, and his wife had been praying for him. And um, through an interpreter, he explained that story. And I said, hey, that's okay. I said, that, what, that's what happened to me. And let me tell you what. The Bible says in Luke 15, chapter 15. And so I, we told, I told him about the story of the prodigal son, and together we all prayed, and he rededicated his life to the Lord. So I'm just thankful that, uh, you know, for God and his mercy towards me, and uh, I'm still a work in progress, but um, I, I believe that uh, the Lord has healed me and he's restoring me, and um, I'm thankful for his mercy, and that's my testimony. As we move now into our time of ministry, um, I just want to remind you of who God is. He is the Lord, and He is our healer. Have you applied His remedy to your heart? The remedy that He's given us in His Son, Jesus Christ. The interesting thing about the end of that passage in Exodus 15 is that after they applied His remedy, He led them to an oasis place where there were many fountains and many streams, a place where the water was plentiful and it was sweet, where they could get sustenance and go on their journey. That's exactly what God does for us.